If you have your Bible with you today, uh, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. That's where we're going to be picking it up here this morning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 13. I I do want to just tell you uh, again how much I miss being with you. Uh, I know this is a strange season. It's strange for me here in in an almost empty room. I I, I miss getting to see your faces. I I miss getting to be with you. And so I'm praying every day that this season is going to pass. But until that time, um, we're grateful that we're able to do even this. I mean, I, mean, I, hope, we, I hope you're grateful for that. I am. And, and for those volunteers who have, who have worked extraordinarily um, hard to make this happen. Uh, we, we owe them a, a debt of gratitude. But if you're willing and able, I just encourage you to stand with me wherever you are. Stand with me and let's look to God In his word. This is Genesis chapter 13, and I'm just going to read the first seven verses here to get us started. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with him, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, I don't know, I confess uh, that I often come to your word with little expectation. I'm tempted to just open it up and read it and, and count that as, as some great work. Lord, I don't want that to be true of me today. I don't want that to be true of your people today. I pray that, <clears throat> I pray that as we come to your word, we would, we would come expecting to encounter you. That you would speak to us, that we could hear you. Through all the noise of what's happening around us, through all the noise of what might be happening in our homes, through all the noise of confusion and all of that, I pray that you would speak to us that we might hear from you. So I pray that you do that. Ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Back when uh, our Tucker, uh, Tucker is our middle son, back when he uh, was about seven years old. We were, as a family, getting ready to put our kids to bed, and, and every family has their own little rituals for that. And so we were, we were making our way through the kitchen. I was walking uh, behind Tucker. If you can kind of visualize this, he's a seven-year-old. He's walking. Dad's behind him. And out of nowhere, uh, he just he, he shouts out, trust fall, and just falls backwards into me, totally counting on the fact that I was going to catch him, just expecting that would happen. Now, now that's a risky move, all right, but especially if the, if the parents don't know that you even know of such a thing as a trust fall or anything like that, and we still don't know where he had heard that or seen it, and, but he just went for it. He called out trust fall, and he trust, he trust fell, okay? Now, he didn't hit the ground, all right? I managed to catch him, and he thought it was 
hilarious. And his little seven-year-old sort of maniacal laugh came out. And he just thought this is the greatest little moment ever. He totally got dad. And so I, uh, thinking this might be a good teaching moment, which is probably debatable at that point in the day, but I thought it might be a good teaching moment. I said to him, hey man, how about, how about let's try that up here? All right. I, I, said, I said, I'll stand down here a couple of steps. You stand up here at the top. You stand up at the top of the steps and you turn around and face that way. And I'll step down the stairs and then you, you do the trust fall, man. Let's, like, like, let's really do this. You know? And so he got into position. Uh, he's facing away from me. I'm, I'm there. I'm prepared. I am in position. I'm totally and completely ready for him to to do this, and as we stood there, nothing happened. He, he did not move at all. Uh, we counted to three, we counted, then we tried the opposite, right? We counted two, three, then we counted down from three, then we counted down from ten, like it was some sort of shuttle launch or something taking place there. We bargained with him. We promised him. Mama got in on it. She's encouraging him. Big sister came. She's like, Daddy's not going to let you fall. You can do this. And I'm promising him over and over and over again, Tucker, I will catch you. And all the while, I promise you, for the next 45 minutes, he stood there and never moved. You see, one of the things that we've learned in life, and, and most people realize this, is that human trust is almost always conditional, all right? Now, we don't like to admit that. We don't like to admit that our trust is conditional. My son didn't want to stand at the top of the stairs and say, Daddy, I, I don't trust you. He didn't say that. Um, he never did say that. But in the moment, that was the testimony, maybe not of his voice, but definitely of his life. And it's a lot like what we saw last week with Abram in chapter 12. How, how when things began to get a little crazy around him, when things got a little messy, how when famine came and it disrupted all the normal rhythms, all the normal patterns of his life, how he didn't run to God in faith and trust, but he ran to Egypt in fear. And but even in that season, right? In that season of doubt, that season of running, that season that we really could call faithlessness on the part of, of Abram, we see that God and his providence and in his care and his mercy that God provided for and protected and even blessed Abram in that time, blessed him abundantly. And so here in 13, when we come across Abram, we're... we're we find a contrasting picture of this man. When we find Abram here in 13, verse 2 tells us that now, okay, you see that there in verse 2, now, so outside of Egypt, he's, he's not in Egypt anymore, now, now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. So this is a demonstration, right, uh, that when God is walking with us, we really can change. I, I, I'm not talking about the money. I'm not talking about the, about the benefits. I'm talking about Abram at this point is no longer the same man that he was in chapter 12. See, chapter 12, if that Abram, if the Abram of chapter 12, here's how I'd say it. If he showed up, that guy showed up to take one of our girls out on a date, there's no way we're going along with that, right? 
I mean, he's already proven he can't be trusted with Sarai. He asked her to lie. There's no way I'm sending one of my daughters out on a date with this man. And so we need to be careful here. Because the Abram we find in 13 is not the same man that we interacted with in chapter 12. He's not perfect. I'm not saying that. But he is different. And what we immediately find, okay, the evidence of that is here in verse 3. Look at that, where we see Abram returning back to where it started. He's going back not just to a place, not just to a location, but to a practice. That's what we see in verse 3. It's it's not just that Abram went back to Bethel, and not even that he's returning to the altar that he had built there, though that is important. What we do see, and this is critical, is that Abram is returning to worship. It's that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of all of this season of turmoil, in the midst of the mess, and in the midst of his failure, Abram here at this point is, is coming home in the present to what he had taken for granted in the past. It's pretty easy to connect that to our current cultural moment. You know, right now, when we can't be together, it's easy to see just how much we have taken for granted the freedom that we ordinarily have to gather together. I've heard that from so many people over the past few weeks that I never realized how much worship with God's people meant to me. And it's because most of the time, most of us, Never really have to risk much of anything to go to worship with God's people. It doesn't require uh, great effort. It doesn't require any great risk to do it. And so what that means is that coming to worship ordinarily is, well, it's easy. But when it's taken, right, when that liberty is taken away from us, it stirs in us a new appreciation for what God has given to us. Abram came back to worship in this moment because he understood and and remembered that that's what we are made for. Now look at verse 5, because what we see starting in 5 is that that a season of abundance is just as great as a threat to our faith as a season of famine. You see, both Abram and his nephew Lot have prospered in material things. That's what we see there. God has given them herds. They've got flocks. In fact, they've got so many herds and so many flocks that there's not enough room to support them. They have so many material blessings now that they they don't have enough room. That's the short version of it. They have so much stuff in their lives. If you choose to see it, they have so much stuff in their lives that now they don't have room for each other. In fact, they have so much stuff that they don't even realize there's a conflict. Did you notice that? They're not even the ones who realize there's a problem. It's the men working for them who point out that there's an issue out in the field. You see, it's that the material blessings of God have become not a, not a point of humble gratitude and appreciation and celebration, but a source of prideful conflict and tension. So I want you to look at verse 8 there with me. Look at verse 8. We're going to go 8 through, 8 through 13 here. Then Abram said to Lot, here's what happens. They have this conflict and now here's what happens. Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. He's going, listen, we are family. 
Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes. And he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So we see that Abram, you see, he's not the same man here in 13 that he was back in chapter 12. He tells Lot, this is what he says, he says, take your pick. He says, take a look at the land. You, you look out there, what, and you take your pick. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. And what we see in Lot, in this little passage here, is a lot like what we saw from Abram back in chapter 12. He lifts up his eyes. He takes a survey of the land that was before him. He says, he says that in verse 10 that he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. Like, like, look at it. Look at how he describes it there. Don't, don't trust me. Look at, your, look at your Bible. It says this, well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This is the way Lot describes the land. You see, he still has his eyes fixed on the things here on the ground. He still thinks that the blessings of the world actually come from the world. I read a line this week that said, Lot was was the kind of man who would certainly choose heaven over hell if given the choice, but not heaven over earth. You you see what he's saying? He says he, he can imagine, I need to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell, but he thinks of heaven, I'd still like to go there, but I really want the things of the earth. Yeah, I really want the things of the earth. And so it never occurred to him. Here's a couple of things that never occurred to him. It never occurred to Lot to give away some of his wealth so that he and Abram could continue to be together. It never occurred to him that the material things of the world might have too tight a grip on his heart. You see, Lot was convinced here. Lot was convinced that he deserved more, that he deserved better, and that he deserved it that he deserved it now. It's that, he, it's that he's living what the 12th century church father uh, Bernard of Clairvaux said. It's a, he, he said this, he said, he thinks only of what he wants and he does not ask himself whether he ought to want it. See, this is one of the great lies of the culture around us. So you need to trust your heart. Well, my heart tells me all kinds of stuff that I don't trust. It tells me to want all kinds of things that, that the Bible tells me I shouldn't want. So what Clairvaux is saying here is that he thinks only of what he wants, that he's letting his heart be his guide. He thinks only of what he wants. He does not ask himself whether he ought to want it. You see, he's walking by sight, and the end result, the end result of that is going to be catastrophic. For Lot and his family. But what about Abram? I mean, what do we do with that guy? You know, last week, Abram's failure, that's what we said, that his failure pointed us to the one who would not walk by fear, but who would walk by faith. It was Abram's failure that pointed us towards Christ's faith. It pointed us forward to Jesus, to the perfect Son of God, who would who would not walk by fear, but by faith. It pointed us forward to this one who who would walk into the city of Jerusalem, 
Not in order to receive a reward, not in order to to receive a prize, not to be cheered, not to be crowned, but to be killed. Not to be celebrated, but to sacrifice. It was Abram's failure that pointed us toward the one who never fails. What we see here in 13 is is that now it's Abram's act of faith. It's Abram's act of faith that's pointing us forward to the faithfulness of Jesus. It's his act of, of what I would call tested trust. It's tested trust that's pointing us forward to the one who never doubted. And in that trust, we see his willingness to look to the interest of others. That's what we see in Abram here. A taste of the self-sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. We should know that culturally, Abram had a right to the best piece of land. That was his legal right. It was his legal claim. You take take, take that apart from God's promise of the land just in terms of practical uh, living during this time period. Abram was the older. He was the senior. He was the one who could say, this is mine. You go on away. Lot, if there's not enough room for us here, you go somewhere else. He could have said that. He had every right to send Lot with his flocks and his herds and his tents. He could have sent him away, never to have to deal with that again. But he chose. Here's what Abram chose. He chose to trust God in the moment. He shows that he would rather, at this point, he would rather, think of this, he would rather take the loss himself than lose the relationship with his nephew. He chose to trust that God, here's, he chose to trust that God could do whatever God wanted to do regardless of the location. That's the witness of both, that's now the witness of Abram's voice and his life. And so now in his faith, Abram, it's in his faith now that he points us to Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, remember this? Philippians 2, now Jesus was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Abram still points us to Jesus, who didn't cling to his rights. He didn't cling to his place or his privilege or his prominence, but he emptied himself, that Jesus took the suffering. He took the crown of thorns, right? He took the nails. He took the spear. Jesus took the grave so that we so that we could have the well-watered valley of life in him. Jesus received the holy judgment for our sins so that by grace through faith and repentance we might receive the righteous life of Christ. Sometimes Sometimes we wonder, I'm going to confess this, and I think you'll agree. Sometimes we wonder why we should trust God. I mean, we, we deal with that question sometimes. It's not just quarantines, and it's not crazy viruses that cause us to wonder. It's everyday things, like our jobs. It's things like our relationships with others. It's things like past wounds and the scars that we still carry as a result of those wounds. Sometimes we still find ourselves at the top of the stairs with nowhere to fall but down. And we wonder, we do, we do, if we're honest, or at least if I'm honest, I still wonder if God's going to catch us. If my Father in heaven 
is going to catch us or if he's going to let us fall. We doubt it. We do. I, I doubt sometimes that he's, gonna, that he's going to catch me. And his answer to us isn't empty promises. It's not, come on, you've got this. It's not, it's that I've got you. And the proof of that, God's answer to us when we doubt whether or not he's going to hold us is, is to just look to the cross of Christ. You see, it's at the cross of Jesus that our faithlessness and our unbelief are rewarded with his faithfulness and his sacrifice. It's at the cross of Jesus that God stands and declares, you can trust me. It's at the cross of Christ that God declares, I'm not going to let you fall. God's going, I know it's a long way down. Listen, there are a ton of bumps along this path. Some, some of you are feeling that right now. Some of you are feeling like, man, this is a bumpy road that I don't know if I'm capable of walking. And God's going, you're not. You never were. But I've got you, you see. As this chapter closes out, God reaffirms his promise to Abram. He does. He, God, God knows we're forgetful people, and so he doesn't, he doesn't ever hesitate to reaffirm his promises. God tells him to, to look to the north. He tells him to look to the south. tells him to look to the east, look to the west. He goes, look to the four corners. Look as far as you can. Look out as far as you can see. And he promises that it will belong to him, that, it's going to, that everything that you can see is going to belong to you. It's going to belong to your, to your seed or your offspring. You know, Galatians 3.29 tells us that if you are Christ, meaning if you belong to Christ, then you, then you are Abraham's offspring. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Paul's going, forget about being from Israel, forget about being a Gentile. None of that matters in Jesus anymore. If you are Christ, if you belong to him, then you are Abraham's offspring. Listen, that's the church today. If you are in Christ, that's you today. That's the grace of God. To us in Jesus. That is, is what the Psalm 103, we, we read it earlier. That Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. God loves giving us directions. He says to Abram, look at north, south, east, and west. Look everywhere. And he says to us, look as far as from the east to the west. That's how far I will take your sins from you. That's what he accomplishes at the cross is that in him, when we are Christ's, our sin is forgiven. It's taken from us. Some of us are still hesitant to give it away. I don't know why that is, but even in my own heart, I still feel this like tension, like I need to, to try and deal with it on my own. And Jesus is going, no, no, Mo, I, I, I took that from you. And I moved it as far as the east is from the west. And just like we see with Abram, just like we see with Abram, God always keeps his promises. You see, God's faithfulness is not as conditional as our faith. God's faithfulness is as consistent as an enduring and steadfast. The cross is a reminder 
to you. It's a reminder to me of that truth. It's a picture for us of his grace for us. It's a picture for us of his love for us. St. Augustine famously said in his confessions, he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You know, I think Abram felt some of that restlessness in Egypt. He felt some of that restlessness in the famine. I'm feeling some of that restlessness in this time when I can't be with you here in worship. I'm feeling some of this restlessness when, when I'm uncertain. It's like, Abram, I'm calling us back to worship here. God's calling us back to worship here. The cross of Jesus is God's call to us to come and find our rest in Him. To find our peace. To find our trust. The cross of Jesus is this beautiful picture for us. It's this beautiful invitation from God. From our Father. Standing on the stairs waiting for us to trust Him. That says, I've got you. Come on home. Come on home. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I still want to confess my doubt to you. Confess my shortcomings to you. I confess that all too often I still think that I need to climb the mountain. I still think that I need to run the race. I still think that I need to accomplish something. When what you've told me is to trust you like a child, to do a trust fall into your arms, knowing that you have got us. Lord, help us to live like that's true. Help us to be those type of people who are just so faithfully optimistic because we know that you have us. That neither death nor life nor angels or demons nor principalities nor none of that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Help us to live like that's true. Help us to live like that's true. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll invite you now to receive the Lord's benediction, which comes from that letter of Paul to the church in Galatia. It comes from Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 18. It's real short, and I don't want you to miss it, but here's what it says. It says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen.